walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody, settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, and this art is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving Ooh. it back. Yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Apron Bump. My name is Kyle, also known as the hardest part of the ring. And doggity diggity dog. We got a good one for you today. Got some Ring of Honor for you on the pod today. Uh, Specifically, April of 2003. So uh, I'm continuing my new uh, method and covering these Ring of Honor shows. If you uh, caught my last episode, you would have heard me talk about, along with my guest, Sig Daddy, Uh, We talked about the month of March 2003 for Ring of Honor. And because Ring of Honor just has so many shows like, I mean, there's two a month, most months. And then going forward, they they would even have more. So instead of just dedicating an entire episode to each show specifically, when there is more than one show in a month, what we'll do is just watch them both and talk about them in a more general kind of sense. And I think we did that very well. I'm not going to, I don't know. You'd be the judge of that. Did we do it well in this episode? I don't know. Well, too much you fucking listen. Uh, <laughs> you are. Why am I getting mad at you? But the point is, we are looking at April 2003. So we got Epic Encounters and Retribution Round Robin Challenge 2. Uh, great shows. I mean, Ring of Honor 2003, and we talk a lot about this in the uh, in the podcast episode, but they're definitely uh, hitting their stride here in uh, the beginning of 2003, or I guess approaching the middle of it. But um, that's not perfect, but you can definitely see the the building blocks being formed because no, no longer is it just match, match, match. Storylines are starting to develop and evolve and mature. You have different late the different levels of storylines. You got the pure division kind of getting established. You got the tag division really taking off. And of course, we got Samoa Joe as the world champion, and we see a good bit of him, uh, including a match against Doug Williams, where he defends the title against him. Uh, so a lot of good stuff on this episode, a lot of good stuff on these two shows here. Uh, I would say the general theme of this episode is uh, tropes uh, for Ring of Honor, good and bad, uh, things that they have changed since their, their first year, and but things that they did back in 02 that really set the tone for independent wrestling for years to come. And as we're watching these and as I'm talking about it, it's very clear that Ring of Honor and how influential Ring of Honor was 
especially the early days to what we see now, not just in independent wrestling, but in companies like AEW who, who have adopted a lot of those principles. So really, really good stuff there. Uh, but yeah, so like I said, we're going to be covering two shows and I'll put, I, I think if I remember, if I, if I don't remember, come to my house and kick me in the balls. Like if I remember, I will put the card both the both cards in the description of this podcast. But we got a lot of good stuff to talk about today. You know what? I had so much fun with wrestling should be fun. Last week when we covered Progress Chapter 20 that I just had to reach into that satchel again and uh or that bum bag as they call it um for <laughs> uh for my guest today, Dom from the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Check out the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and follow them on all social medias. They are one of the best follows on social media, both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, follow them on Twitter at WSB fun and follow them on Instagram at wrestling should be fun. All one word. That'll all be in the description below. Go check them out. They're hilarious. They're, they're, they're positive. They're handsome. Like what else do you want? And check out ApronBump.com, of course, for all my full episodes. If you enjoy these Ring of Honor episodes, maybe you're just popping in for the first time and you're like, gee whiz, Kyle, would love to hear your journey so far, as I know all of you are saying that right now. Go to ApronBump.com. Go to the Episodes tab at the top. Why am I? Ye- I feel like I'm yelling. I'm so sorry. Fucking <laughs> Go to the Episodes tab at the top. Select ROH, and that'll bring you to all of the Ring of Honor episodes that I've done thus far. And I have covered every single show since their inception up until now, April of 2003. But let's get into it, baby. Ring of Honor, April 2003, Epic Encounters and Round Robin Challenge 2. With myself and Dom from the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Phil just who happened to listen to our show just volunteered his time and he right. he makes it sound much better than when i was just messing about with it myself back in the day right yeah. i mean the content's shit but i mean it sounds good <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but yeah ring of honor april 2003 so you since we last spoke i think you messaged me one time you were like uh, I think it was Expect the Unexpected. You said that was around the time you felt that Ring of Honor was starting to hit their stride. Well, what what makes you say that? Like, what, what, what did you witness that kind of made you feel that way? Yeah, so, well, I guess, like, a little bit of context for me. I bought shows where I could on DVD, but the shipping to Australia was ridiculous. So I would mm-hmm. um, download uh, shows where I could here and there, right? Um, but I got to a point where I was watching everything. I was just obsessed with it. Um, and then I recently like my friend james who you've also met he's part of our wrestling should be fun crew he Mm -hmm. was he just went through a period where he just like fell out of love with wrestling for a while and he just gave me all these ring of honor dvds so i was like right i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and watch all this stuff because it's not an honor club or anything but Mm -hmm. so when i was talking to you i was like i started from the very start and when i got to yeah it must have been what what all star extravaganza did I say? What, what I can't remember which show you just mentioned. Uh, that that was the one we covered. I think expect the unexpected was the show that yeah yeah, yeah expect the unexpected. And I remember just thinking like 
this is getting more like what I remember. And like, I'm going to talk about a few things today because I like definitely can like, in my mind, it continued the positive curve um, into 2003 for sure. Um, where, where you're at in your recaps now um, with Epic Encounter and Round Robin Challenge 2. But um, things that I'd noticed, obviously more recognisable faces. Uh, yep. Like now we've got storylines with Punk, uh, Cabana, um London was at his at the peak of his powers, definitely. But just other things like there's a few storylines rather than where like the first the first year just felt like a load of like super indie cards, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like the super eight every month or something like that. But as we started to get into 2003, there there were like these ongoing storylines with the prophecy. Um, and like shows are named after those stories as well, which like I think mm. an interesting touch. Like just looking back now, like it obviously it seemed obvious at the time, but it really stands out to me now the way that the shows mirror um, what you're going to get. And I don't know if you know this, Carl, but a lot of the shows were just voted on on the Ring of Honor forums on the message boards back in the day. The show titles, did you know that? I did not know that. Were you a part of that vote oh, back in the day? And there weren't. I don't, I don't think I ever came up with any, but like it wasn't even like votes. It would just be like what do we think the show should be called this month? And people would be like, oh, yeah, oh, it definitely should just be called Joe vs. Punk 2. And like people are like, yeah, definitely. Or <laughs> Revenge of the Prophecy or whatever it might be. Um, At Our Best was one I remember being like, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's the best show in Ring of Honor history. Up to that point, we should call it At Our Best. And then there, there was one called Better Than Our Best because then people said, oh, that's even better. <laughs> um, you'll get to those eventually in your future future viewing you've got a lot of good stuff ahead of you mate no yeah i'm looking forward to it. yeah i mean just like um even superficial things like the the production you can see uh improvements here like the, the murphy rec center which is where epic encounters took place i didn't even recognize it because the lighting had completely changed like it was no longer just the whatever the static lighting of the gym now it was dark with a spotlight and then the entrances had like the the beams and the lasers and stuff. They, they got a little carried away with it in some entrances, and sometimes it was, it was a little too dark, like in the entrances and stuff. But the 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 aesthetic of it, how it appeared, amplified it for me. Like, cause the Murphy Rec Center, man. I mean, like sometimes the energy of the crowd is good, but it just looks like a gym, and I it's sometimes it's hard to look past that. But I feel like they're finally starting to. I don't know if it's a budget thing or what it is, but uh, they're, they're making strides in, in the production. I don't know if that's something that caught your eye or not. Hey, and you know what? I definitely caught my eye. I definitely like a note of it as well. But um, I reckon it coincides with like special K kind of being more a part of the show. Because like, mm-hmm. you could tell they really wanted to. Like, oh, I guess it was an epic encounter. And I'm going to do this all show. I'm going to get the two shows mixed up. I, I will too. Don't worry. <laughs> but it must have been an epic encounter. And like, Special K came out to what I, in my mind, is a Special K music. And I've tried to find it loads of times, but it's like, you are a victim of hard style. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm not a dance music guy at all. But um, clearly. But obviously, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go get my decks. Um, but so they, and obviously made the whole thing go black and the guy talking over the over the speaker. And I was like, oh, that's what I know. So I was like, oh, man, they, they've got the lights for the first time for Special K. Which uh-huh. makes so much more sense, um, and and it's it just adds something to their um, to their aesthetic, definitely, as well as like people like Homicide, who has the cool um, the Kill Bill sequence at the start of his entrance. I don't know if he started using that yet, but he will. Uh, right, it, it definitely really adds something. Um, 
I'm surprised that because obviously it's you know, and Ring of Honor here, it still feels like there's that um, uh, like, almost like that flow on from the dying days of ECW. You know, you've got the Carnage crew, you've got Mikey Whiprack hanging out with Special K. They brought in people like C.W. Anderson and Easy Money, who are sort of like ECW alums at the end. And I, like, I'm surprised they never just like shut the lights out and did like a Sabu entrance. As, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't surprise me. That's kind of what CM Punk's entrance ended up being eventually, right? I remember like it would like go off and then on and then off. I guess maybe that was a common thing. Yeah. Over over time, they got the lights like flash in sync with AFI and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're trying. Yeah, Spe- Special K was definitely. I'm br- glad you brought that up because that's like always a faction I've heard of, and from what I've seen before this, I'm like, I just don't see it, man. They're just like. Like the the, the yeah. backstage segments are awful. Like, oh, here's some needles and marijuanas. It's like it's kind of corny. But then I saw this entrance with the music that you were uh, just beautifully displayed from it for us, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of I kind of dig this. I kind of I kind of like their vibe now. So it's like they're kind of starting to figure it out. I think maybe in two shows time. I, I don't know if you watch every single show. Watch every show, Kyle. In order, is that how you do it? Yes, yes, every single show. Well, in it's not a spoiler because it happened twenty years ago, but I think fine. <laughs> there's actually a show called Wrestle Rave, uh, uh-huh. and it's famous because the main event is our special. K actually had a rave with the crowd. They turned the lights out and played music, and everyone danced. It was like they promoted it that way. Wow. Also, it's got the best promo in wrestling history on it, but no spoilers. <laughs> But, but by who? You, you can tell me who it was. Uh, who it was by. Damn Punk gives, you know, it's probably like his fifth most famous promo, but it's the best one that wasn't on TV. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I just I just call it the Wrestle Rave promo. It's, right. It's giving me goosebumps thinking about it now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ring of Honor is full of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Special K, like, speaking of them, I'm, I'm glad that finally Jay Lethal is getting some chance to shine because it seems like he's been, like, in the background this whole time while, like, fucking angel dust and yeah. dixie are getting all the spotlight but i think both shows lethal was involved in the matches so it was, it was interesting to see a, a young jay lethal here yeah hydro hydro of course yeah. of course who, who would have thought hydro would have ended up being like arguably like one of the biggest ring of honor stars of all time <laughs> in in a matter of a decade or so one of the most technically sound wrestlers in the world Still, still kicking it today. Still kicking it today. It's the perfect gimmick though, because anytime they botch, Gabe, they, oh, that's all that stuff they've been taking. <laughs> my, my biggest laugh in watching Ring of Honor, like this rewatch, I don't remember what card it was, but like it was like eight special guy, special K guys circling one guy, and they were all gonna drop kick this guy at one time, and then seven of them hit it on time, and then one of them was like a second late, and it was just like, <laughs> but to your point, it's, oh, no, they're just all on so, so many drugs, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Special K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and it's clear that no one in the wrestling company knows the name of any drug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, uh, oh, what was it? Yeah, low-key, they gave low-key uh, an ecstasy pill or something. Oh, yeah, I remember and, and then he took it and then music started playing throughout the arena. And he was like, oh, I'm so high on drugs right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when that was. I think I saw that recently as well. Uh, yeah. Maybe when he wrestled Jody Flash or something like that. It might have been. I can't remember. It, it was around that time for sure. But uh, yeah, to your point, this is a, a period in Ring of Honor where, it, yeah, like you said, there's it's not just matches. It's not just epic matches. They're establishing feuds and characters that will be long term. 
Uh, Punk and Raven is a, uh, a legendary feud that is we're kind of in the middle of at this point, even though Raven didn't appear on either of these shows. Uh, they did do things to forward that storyline here. What, what are your thoughts, I guess, in general on the, the whole storyline between Punk and Raven? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's iconic. Like, looking back now, mm. 20 years later, you can see that this was something that allowed Sam to become the star that we know as, well, you know, for the decade after this and even now. Um, so, like, I... I just love that they gave Punk the chance to talk even when Raven wasn't there. Yes. And, but it, it, there's a couple of really interesting things I, I saw it and we're jumping all over the place here, but um, like I, I kind of watching these two shows and I mentioned it to you, like I noticed it as times when ring of honor tropes that I recognize as being a fan from back then start to appear. One right. of those big tropes is the way in which backstage promos a wrestler would give their promo, which was clearly like the script. And they always did a scene where Gabe would yell, cut, and then they'd keep talking after. Mm. And, like, that's when I think you really start to see punk shine. I just – yeah. It, and there's there's a couple of wrestlers who really benefited from it in Ring of Honor, I think. Um, later on, guys like Alex Shelley, just to show their real personality. Um, the, the, the talkers, really. But, yeah, Punk especially. And Carino, obviously. Carino's the, yeah. the kayfabe bending promo. Um, but, yeah, I think this is when you just see Punk really show that not only is he, like, can he be on a par with Raven and be the same way as a star, but actually, he has probably better chops like when he's talking than Raven does. Um, I would definitely say so. Yeah, yeah. I loved my fa- pro- maybe my favorite part of the whole two shows. Was, um, they're doing a backstage interview and they're introducing um, Lucy, uh, the mm-hmm. Daphne, and may she rest in peace. Um, and the and Punk like he's like, all right, cut, and then he like gra- he almost grabs his like here we might be heels, but we don't break the code of honor here. And I'm just right. like, this fucking guy's character, it's the only three-dimensional one. You know, it's not, yes. it's not Daniels who is, uh, we we hate the code of honor because we hate establishment. And it's not, um, you know, whoever, AJ Styles. Yeah, like we or, or Dragon, you know, yeah, code of honor. Yeah, it's just like, I follow the code of honor, but I'm also a bad guy. It's, it's yeah, it's, I really love that part of these two shows. Yeah, it was very unique because like like you said, because especially like the guys that didn't have the best promo skills, like, I don't know, like an AJ Styles or a Paul London. I, Paul London has is a good promo, but sometimes they get to a thing where they're like screaming at the camera. They're like cutting a wrestling promo. And then that when they yell cut, that kind of allows them to be like, oh, OK, now now I'm a person. And it's that I'm a person kind of is where the characters really the interesting characters start to flush out. And yeah, like you said, punk was probably the best at that. I thought Daniels was pretty good at that too, even though he was a little bit more straightforward, whereas Punk had a little bit more layers to it, I think. But uh maybe my favorite line across the whole two shows was um London to AJ. I'll see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Paul London. Let's let's talk about Paul London for a second. This guy before this show, it, it felt like he was just like a plucky underdog guy. Like everybody loved Paul London. The, the please don't die thing was really taken off with the ladder match with Michael Shane and his title matches with Xavier. He had a lot of momentum, but it seems like I don't want to call it a heel turn. I guess you could, but he definitely had a cockier like swagger about him. And I, it's, it all kind of plays into the uh, 
the storyline with AJ Styles, I guess, because before this show, uh, Paul London and AJ were going to team together. They were going to go for the tag team titles and probably end up winning them. But uh, Paul London at the you know, two shows ago, he had emergency sinus surgery or something, something along those lines. Um, so he couldn't appear. So AJ had to find a new partner, which ended up being amazing red. And then they were team together and end up winning the tag team championships. And they still have them uh, at this point. Uh, but London is obviously very salty about it. And then it all plays into the, the round robin challenge matches and all that. But I love seeing Paul London start to kind of you see the, the, the modern day Paul London a little bit. He's very he's hilarious. He has very dry humor. He's kind of weird. And it's, it's awesome to see him not only get to show his personality, but clear, like it, it seems like we're building to a match with AJ, which I can only imagine is going to be a banger and a half. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's just a simple but a great story. Like on the yeah. the Round Robin Challenge show, London did get to wrestle Amazing Ray. And like it's not just the Round Robin Challenge. It's not just who's going to, you know, be one of the next to challenge Samoa Joe. It's this, um, uh, you know, this secondary story, the subtext of London versus Red. And I think London did he, I, I watched this on like 1.5 speed, but I, he hit him with a Styles Clash and he, mm-hmm. he put on AJ's top afterwards and he tried to do the Styles Taunt and all the yep. types of things. Just like, just little things that I wonder if like, let's be honest, Ring of Honor, they're not always the most subtle with getting the story across. Like, right. And I'll talk about this a little bit later with some commentary stuff, but Gabe wants to make it very obvious what the story is. Whereas this one just felt a bit more like Paul London, you know, doing his own thing a bit. He's like, how, you know, how can I tell this story? And um, it felt a little bit more subtle, but, and maybe that's why it appealed to me is like one of the better stories on the, across the two shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he had the AJ shirt. He had like, tights made to replicate AJ. (laughs) Which was going with AJ that he just gave him for the promo as well. Right? (laughs) That's, yeah. Makes it all the more better. Yeah, it was. It was great. Um, But yeah, I mean, while while we're talking about tropes and promos, were there any promos that stuck out to you for, you know, positive or negative reasons? One that I actually really loved was the Carnage Crew promo at the end of, uh, I believe it was Round Robin, where, um, I mean, nothing really too significant that they're saying but it just it's so believable their characters because their character they're rooted and you know they they hate their wives they hate their kids so they're basically here to take out all that frustration on everybody and i think it you know translates really well into their matches and in their promos because i guess at the next show uh do or die in may they're in a match like a triple threat match they're facing punk and cabana and the briscoes and maybe another team but they're kind of just running down each person that they're facing and it's like, oh, punk, you probably looked down at us because we like to tip a few back because of our fat wives and our shitty kids. And it's like, it's so entertaining, but it's also like so believable. Um, yeah, the Carnage crew definitely stuck out to me as, as promo guys. And then they go, and then it's like Special K, and they're like, you look down at you got your rich parents that fund your drug lifestyle. We're the ones fixing your plumbing. Mm-hmm. Like stuff like, yeah, it, it really was. Um, that was a good promo. I'll tell you what I noticed. I think about the Carnage crew. They, they had this thing going with the ring crew, and yeah, and there's the, there was also the one promo where um, uh, it was so I'm not uh, I don't know if I've if I mentioned this last time or whatever, but there's a tag team that's just being introduced called the Outcast Killers. Yes, um, and they're, they're on the ring crew as well, and one of them says something to um, Devito, and is like, 
uh, something about his wife or something like that, and he fucking slapped the shit out of <laughs> Yes. And he's just and it was like the most believable thing. I'm like, and he's like, don't you ever talk about me going home again. And I was like, fuck, I could see that at like wrestling training or wrestling school. Like, you don't yeah. veteran on your first day, you idiot. Like mm. I could I like it. It's not that he's talking about his wife. It's that he's talking about him going home to his wife. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Because they make fun of their wives a lot. But it's like, yeah, but you don't include me in that. Yeah. He just and just drills him on the ear. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Yeah. Um, God. But yeah, Carnage Crew had a good couple of shows for guys that are, you know, they're they're entertaining in what they do. I I loved they. I didn't think I was gonna love it, but their match with the Texas Wrestling Academy, I thought was entertaining as hell. Yeah. Did, did that one stick out to you at all? Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot bloodier than what I thought it was gonna be, and I guess like the Texas side of things is sort of carried a bit by um, Andes, right? Hot stuff, Hernandez. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was bloody, like you said. I mean, it was, uh, it's almost like, um, I think the crowd the second night was way more into the show than the first night. Um, and they, they were into it because it was so violent, like, because it's the Carnage crew, it's DeVito, Loke, and Masada versus the team of Don Juan, Fast Eddie, and Hot Stuff Hernandez. And they, they poke fun at, like, the old barricade because was by the way they got new barricades finally um but apparently they still had a piece of the old shitty steel better barricade under the ring so that they pulled it out or beating people with it and they have hubcaps and chairs all over the place it was just a stiff ass match um but it was entertaining and eventually the carnage crew wins with a a sick pile driver from the second rope um but yeah like you said lots of blood lots of blood it's an amazing finish they had uh they also had masada with them didn't they Yes. Sort of known for doing quite a bit of deathmatch stuff around this time as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He was one of the guys that worked both Ring of Honor and CZW around this time. Not not many people did work both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Gabe made it a point on commentary to be like, okay, we don't use light tubes or anything. We're not ultra violent, but uh, look at all the blood. Yeah. So yeah. Gabe's commentary is always, always in fine form. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I um talking about Gabe's commentary. I, I guess I, I get into it now. It's like another one of the things that I noticed that I really look back on, and I can't believe I used to like it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I remember talking about the Ring of Honor message boards again, and I remember like being like, "Nah, no one's ever going to replace Gabe as a commentator. So good, you know. He's got his catchphrase, dangerous, you know, which he drops definitely on on uh, around. Oh, is that? Because he said that once. Yeah. I think that was the first time he said it. And he, he seemed to be, be very, like, adamant about it. Yeah. And it felt weird, but I guess he's trying to shoehorn in a, a catchphrase, yeah. which makes sense. I, I reckon he, in his mind, he's like, oh, I need a catchphrase, like Joey Stoddard <laughs> or um, the CZW guy at the time. I think his name was John House. He His one was, someone call 911. I can't do American accents. So I apologize so much. <laughs> Is that what that was? Uh, that was a good, a good try. He's not really an yeah, um, I, yeah, I do apologize. Uh, <laughs> I, well, crikey, mate! Yeah. Let me tell you, we'll call it, we'll call it square. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Gabe definitely got a dangerous in, which you can expect more of that coming up. But I, thank God. Like I, I wrote down a few things that Gabe said that I was just like, "Fuck! How do I defend this?" 
Let me know. Tell me. Honestly, like, I just can't. I honestly, mate, I really struggle with the like the misogynistic stuff. Oh, yeah, it's rough, right? Mm-hmm. No, there's because like it, it's common. Like even in WWE, like any wrestling promotion during this time period, you're gonna get some. Oh, here's the sexy ladies out to do their thing, which is like it sucks, but sometimes I, I can like come to grips with it to an extent. But there was like I guess it was Alexis Lurie versus um, Persephone. I believe was the real because the first one didn't really have any commentary. Um, he kept talking about her Alexis Lurie's flat tummy, and like he brought it up at least ten times within like a three or four minute match. And it literally not, not a lot of things make me auto, like groan out loud. Normally it's just like a like an internal thing, but I was like. Oh my god! Like he kept talking about her flat tummy. It's like enough, because <laughs> it was like their first. It was actually a pretty legitimate wrestling match. It probably the first ever legit women's wrestling match in Ring of Honor. Because it's always like a one minute match. Some most times it has like cuts. Sometimes it's like just an like intermission kind of whatever thing where they have some highlights of it. But Alexis Lurie, aka Mickey James versus Persephone, it was a it was a fine match. But the whole time, Gabe, to your point, was just. Uh, it was, he was laid it on thick. At one point, about Alexis, because God, she's hot. Uh, <laughs> fuck, man. Like, what? Like, like, but I'm, I, but like you said, I was also then I was like, I bet Jerry Lawler would have said worse stuff on on the other channel. Yeah. Um, I don't even, but I just, I mean, but, uh, it's just looking back, it makes me uh, icky. I, I don't know, maybe it's a weird way to phrase it, but I think Lawler was better at being misogynistic than Gabe. I mean, there's no good way to do it, but, but like Lawler could at least like sneak it in. Maybe he wouldn't notice all the time. But yeah, it was like we have the smoking hot Alexis Lurie versus the beautiful Persephone. Like, can you just say their names? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know why, but like um, there's one time, a couple others. He like. I, and I think I mentioned it already, but he's just like really, really sledgehammer obvious with telling the story. So like there's the match with BJ Whitmer and CM Punk. And how many times did he mention, oh, if he gets another blow on the head, that could be a concussion. Yeah. And then obviously the finish of the match is a minute later when he falls on his head and it gets off concussion. He, and he goes, and then when it happens, he goes, that's not meant to happen. <laughs> What like don't we know it's pretend? Don't, yeah. Why don't try to do that? You know. Um, they definitely uh, they did a, a several things like like I mean the riots from uh, a few months before this they they made this whole thing like oh the infamous riot which by the way they were calling it the infamous riots on the show that it happens like how is it infamous if nobody's seen it yet but. I, I digress. But yeah, it's always like and sometimes they do it well, like with the promo stuff we were talking about earlier where they say cut and then you kind of see that, that behind the scenes stuff. But like like you just mentioned, they, they went a little overboard sometimes. They would take some time to fine tune that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure he must get better. Like he, he can't be this bad the whole time because like even even when I was 18, I felt like I was a pretty knowledgeable wrestling fan. So like, I don't uh, he must get better. But geez, at this time, he's very rough. I could see this going 45 minutes. Cool. Why? You t- <laughs> like, just like. But he says that about every match, though. It's not even just like the title matches yeah. or like the dream matches. It'll be like fucking Chad Collier versus Matt Stryker. And it's, oh, I think we're going to have a match of the year candidate on our hands here. It might go 60 minutes when in reality, all they've done is a few wrist locks and a couple transition wrestling moves. It's like, all right, chill out. 
I've already bought the DVD, mate. Why it's not <laughs> anymore? You know. Uh, Which, by the way, if you wanted to play a drinking game during these shows, take a drink every time he says "match of the year candidate." Yeah. On commentary, <laughs> you'd be wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Torched. But uh, I mean, it's good to laugh at. Like twenty years later, I mean, they're they're doing their best, and it, it doesn't detract from anything. You know, like I, right. I still really enjoyed them. You know, and and for me, it's like it's in a way, it's nostalgic. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Gabe, good man. <laughs> he's trying. You know what? It because. He's functionally a good commentator because he's lit. He's tying all the storylines together. He's letting you know the stakes, which, you know, fair play to him. Like you need that. But like you said, he just he batters you over the head with, oh, man, this this Matt, we got to keep the, the code of honor into account. You know, this guy, he respects the code of honor. But this guy, oh, it's, it's a grudge match. It's a grudge match. So there's no code of honor. It's a blood. Fe-. Like it, he's just slamming all these phrases in there and trying to cater to the hardcore fan too much. But, uh, I mean, Gabe, he doesn't commentate forever. I mean, how long does he stay on commentary? He must do a couple of years. Like, he must. It's it's actually, and he also goes, because at the moment he's using Chris Bobby. Yes, right. And then the thing where, I can't remember what it is, but they do a thing where it's like, okay, everyone knows who I am. Any more fake names. This is Jimmy Bauer. So he changed (laughs) the name to another fake name. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe he'll be better under that name. Yeah, I think he probably is. I think he might be. Yeah. Couldn't be worse. Uh, yeah, but when they get to like Prazak and uh, Leonard, Lenny Leonard, that's that's probably officially the best sort of commentary team. But what you've got to look forward to is for a while they they do what um, PWG does and they just have like a revolving door of like wrestlers that aren't in the match that's on commentator. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like Gabe and Punk or like Gabe and Cabana. Like it's, it is, it's, that's really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, uh, Gabe and, uh, who's the other guy? Rob Morrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an upgrade from Gabe and Steve Carino. Yeah. I mean, those first few shows are exhausting to listen to. Oh, like when Carino says this is the best match I've ever seen, like, fuck me. The first match, yeah, I think it was with Briscoe and Red or something. Yeah. It was like, oh man, this is the best match of all time. Yeah. Like, is it? Yeah, calm down, calm down. But <laughs> tell you what, Carino gets mentioned a hundred times on these shows as well, right? Everyone hates him. He, it's like he's in three yeah. months. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because there's the feud, so it's the group because it's Steve Carino's group. It's what's him, Homicide. Michael Shane, C.W. Anderson. Um, it's Joe, not Homicide. Homicide's got his own group. Oh, that's right. You see, that, I'm, I'm, it's confusing me, though, because there's like three different groups yeah, and then yeah. there's like intertwining like <laughs> conflicts between all of them. Yeah. It's like and then Homicide like takes out Carino's boys. Now now it's really just Homicide and Carino, but the rest of the group still fighting the prophecy. The yeah. prophecy is kind of fighting Joe and then they they're, they're fighting Carino as well. So there's a lot going on there. Joe wants Daniels and then Daniels wants Carino. Then like, mm-hmm. you know, Daniels is in storyline shagging Carino's sister. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But, um, there is some cool stuff out of it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, yeah, that feud and the prophecy, how about Dan Moth, huh? Joining the prophecy. What'd you think of that move? Uh, yeah, I, I remembered it. I remembered it coming. But uh, yeah, no, it's good. Talking about like he, he cut a decent promo, didn't he? When he 
Mm. Like it was almost like when he uh, at the end of Epic Encounter and he's saying to uh, Mac, Monster Mac, he's like, well, we got one more dance in us or whatever. I'm not going at a loser. And you can just see almost why they split him up. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I feel sorry for Monster Mac when he had to talk. Mm-hmm. Like, Marf, like, just left him for dead. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can see why Marf, you know, has been put with the prophecy. It, it does make sense. Um. And yeah, and there's some storylines that come out of it um, that are already hinting towards uh, the Second City Saints, which is one of the great feuds in Ring of Honor history, the Prophecy versus Saints. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'll that'll be upcoming. Uh, yeah, so. for sure. Do you? So Moth, you know, is on off on his own. I guess I mean, he's still a member of a faction, but uh, I don't know. Do do you think the Hit Squad had more to give as a tag team because they? They kicked off Ring of Honor. They were the first yeah. two people you ever saw. They were in the first match, which I don't know if it was even an official match, but they were the first people you saw like come through the curtain. But um, ever since then, they kind of just been like in the middle, kind of. And that's kind of the, the the main thing with Mac. He's like, with you, Mac, I've, or with Moff. He's like, with you, Mac, I've just been stuck in the mid card, yeah. and which is kind of true though. But do you think the Hit Squad had more potential as a team? Yeah, I guess so. But then I like I try to I think about them like, well, what. What else would they have done? Like, I were they because there was the whole story with the because the first tag champs were Daniels and Donovan Morgan, right? Right. And yep. After that, they pretty much lost it to our second champs, who we've got now, like AJ and Red. I mean, I guess the only thing that you could argue is if you know the Hit Squad should have just been mowing teams down every show and winning the belts. But I don't. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I don't really know what else they would have done unless tag teams were build, you know, if they were the road warriors or something and build on top. But mm-hmm. um, in my mind, the, uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel about spoilers for like later shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of stuff that happens, so you feel free to drop some if you need to. Well, in my mind, the main tag team that Muff is in in ring of honor is not with monster Mac. Right. He, he goes into a, a tag team in the prophecy and that's his main tag team. Really? Okay. Yeah. So when but the saints versus the prophecy is Muff and his partner who is not currently a member of the prophecy. So yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it there, man. So no, like, yeah, I, like they, but you, you are right though. The hit squad, like visually, gee, they're impressive. There was that, they had the match against the back seats who, uh, um, yep. But at this time, was sort of the they were almost like the young bucks before the young bucks. Like they were like the indie tag team of this era. You know, they They're they were more, so good, more established than the Briscoes, more established, uh, uh, you know, than the Hit Squad. Probably they worked all over the place, and um, and but the 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 story of the match well, it was just like the Hit Squad just absolutely drilled them for about ten minutes, and then um, the backseats hit the T gimmick. To, to win right because and then that's where the miscommunication happens but right it i like i i quite enjoyed the story of that match knowing where the story was going like to watch more closely and be like oh, okay i get it like muff feels like he's doing all the heavy lifting and then monster mac makes a mistake and Muff's just finally half of it of like taking the loss because of one mistake from the other guy yeah. Was it was it Mac? Because basically, so the Backseat Boys versus the Hit Squad at Epic, Epic Encounters. So like you said, the the, the Hit Squad, they're kind of just battering the Backseat Boys for the few, first few minutes. 
And then I think it's Muff. He goes for a burning hammer onto Trent Acid. And Trent lands on his feet. And then I think it's, is it Mac that goes for a lariat but then hits Muff? Or is it the other way around? Yeah, maybe it's the other way around. I I can't remember. But it, it works out with, it must be Monster Mac ends up on the outside leaving Muff to get T-Gimmick, right? Yeah, I think Moff hits Mac, sending Mac to the yeah. outside, and then Moff gets hit with a T gimmick. Yeah. So the backseat boys get the win over to Hit Squad, and then Moff just storms off. Like he doesn't attack Mac or anything. It's not like an explicitly said thing. Moff is just pissed off and uh, storms off, and then basically en- ends up joining the prophecy. And Daniels basically announces him as a member of the prophecy. And, uh, you know, like I said, because Moff has been pretty much he feels like he's been in the mid card, you know, the, the whole thing. He has a, he's been weighed down by Mac and all that. Um, but you've seen the think shows after this. So it's probably an, uh, a positive thing, because if Moff is better known for a tag team after this than with Mac, it's probably better for his career than uh, had he just stayed with the hit squad, I guess. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what you think about it in the future. Like, uh, again, like in my rewatch of everything, this is still 20 years ago in my mind. So I might just be remembering right. those tinted glasses, you know, like I'm uh, the, the reason I rewatch these shows is because you were gracious enough to invite me on the show. So mm-hmm. um, like, I'm, I'm sort of up with you. Everything else is just a 20 memory. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I guess like talking about tag team wrestling, should we talk about some of the tag team wrestling on the show? Please do. Any stick out to you, mate? Specifically, I, I thought. I'm not saying it's the best match of all time. It's really not. Um, but I really saw, and I, I, I've sort of got a theme for the episode about Ring of Honor tropes. I saw the early stages of the trope of like the formula for tag team wrestling in AJ and Red versus Briscoes. Like, yeah. And I do really think I'm like I think that the match that they had there was almost like a blueprint for a lot of the tag teams going forward. Because I don't think if you put on WWE, there was a lot of tag matches like that going on. No, not at all. Like there was the, and I'm not sure if it was, like. and then I tried to think, I was like, okay, well, ECW closed down finally two years before this. And I was like, okay, so the tag teams in 2001, right at the end of ECW, there was like the FBI with like Guido and, um, uh, uh, Tony Mamaluke. Tony Mamaluke. And then there was like, and then you had, I guess, like Chetty and Nova and people like that. And I think also like Christian York and Joey Matthews and stuff like that. But even they, I don't think, did this type of match with AJ and Red and the Briscoes where you had like all, all four people in the ring a lot. And just like loads of stuff where there's like a guy who has an individual finisher and his partner would set it up for him. Like right. uh, AJ swings red around with for the code red. Or like, um, you know, there was a spot where a- that AJ has Mark or Jay, I can't remember, up in the rack. Maybe it's Mark. Mm-hmm. Red double stumps off his back and then hits the downward spiral that he used to yes. off, off like Mark's torso. And, I, and then AJ hits the rack bomb. Like, I don't think... I don't think a lot of the established tag teams were doing stuff like that. Like even if you turned on the WWE and the Hardys and Edge and Christian and the Dudleys, I still, if they weren't involved like tables and ladders and stuff, I don't think they were doing loads of shit like that with four people in the ring all at once with big sequences. No, not at all. 
Yeah, yeah, but WWE never. I mean, even like the Hardys, ENC, Dudley stuff, that was much shorter than a lot of people think because that was like a few months of them really going after it. But then otherwise, because what we're here, beginning of middle of 2003, I don't know, maybe you have La Resistance, uh, the Dudleys might still be petering around, but there's there's nothing in the tag team division in WWE. Um, honestly, the only other company that comes to mind that really gave a shit about tag team wrestling is TNA, yeah. which... I don't know, like in the timeline at this point, if it was a big deal or not. But I know eventually like AMW, the Naturals, Team Canada, like they, they did tag team wrestling right. And Ring of Honor followed suit, too. I mean, there was a lot of flip flopping between the two over the years. But yeah, even like before, like in Ring of Honor, the first year, there wasn't a lot of really standout tag team matches. In my opinion, you kind of had a hodgepodge team of Daniels and Donovan Morgan as their champions holding stupid trophy for the championships. And um, otherwise, you had SAT there. Who were, who were cool. They were a super over team, but otherwise you just had a bunch of indie dudes with baggy pants and headbands, and it seemed like they were kind of interchangeable at times. But yeah, AJ and Red, I don't know if they teamed a lot before this. To my knowledge, they were kind of just thrown together, but their chemistry was great. And then obviously you have the Briscoes, who, I mean, they're just starting off here as a tag team, and they're already one of the best in the world. So it, it was just like a recipe for success, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I just, it really stood out to me. Like, I just, just the way the way they did it, like AJ's hot tag as well was like, he didn't just come in and throw punches and clotheslines, but right. his hot tag was like him hitting his like stupid, like I'm trying to remember what he used to call these moves. I'm sure there's one called like the Superman. There's one called like, he had all these crazy move names for these moves that he invented. Like, mm-hmm. like he, it's like a, um, what does he do? Like a German suplex rolls through and then he does like a, face buster and stuff like that like yeah that's what he did off his hot tag like no one was doing that in tag wrestling at the time i'm sure you know i just um on the stereo dive aj does the tope and red goes over the top the con hero yeah just yeah and then the the, the briscoes they'll do like the double face wash and the timing's perfect like little things like that they did and they timed i noticed that too that was sick yeah and um so they actually this this the show at Epic Encounter is a rematch from the previous show I believe Night of Champions. Yeah. Their Night of Champions match I might put above this one, but this one was still really great. I mean their Night of Champions tag match is might be my favorite ROH match up to this point. Like it was it was so good. Um, so they had a, a high bar to set, but um, yeah, another a really good match between those guys. AJ and Red get the win, and. Um, so they kind of play the finish kind of plays off of their first match where um, I'm trying to remember. I think Red Rana's mark off the top rope and then AJ catches them into a power bomb. And they try to do that again here, but Mark countered it. And then the Briscoes end up hitting like a double power bomb or something. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, so Stott AJ is on the floor. Mark goes for a plancha to the outside, but AJ catches them into a styles clash, hits it on the floor. Um, and then red hits the red explosion, which is basically our reverse styles clash, which looks very dangerous, but, uh, and then hits the red star press for the win. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you could argue this is the best match of the month from, from these guys. Yeah. There's definitely a conversation for it. 100%. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah. And just going into the tropes from ring of honor, um, the crowd, I think the crowd is a big kind of theme of these two shows because I kind of mentioned it before. I think Epic Encounter, for whatever reason, the energy wasn't there for a lot of the show. Whereas um, 
round robin challenge, I think they're a lot more into it. Do, do you agree or do do you remember at all? Yeah, I. The only thing that I noticed, like that, and that may be true, but the only thing I noticed was I wonder you've been watching the shows a bit more close than me recently. Can you remember many dueling chants like the like what? like what happened in the actual Epic Encounter match with uh, Dragon and London. Because like, mm-hmm. I wondered if, like, the way that Gabe reacted on commentary, he said, and I'm sure he made this joke a few times over the years, but are we at a European football match? <laughs> right. um, and and I was just like, I wonder if this was kind of, in my mind, Ring of Honor is responsible for dueling chance. Uh, yeah. But I wonder if this was the first time. I really, I don't know. Do you remember many dueling chants before this? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Even in like, I'm trying to think of like even older wrestling from other promotions. Do I remember hearing that at all? Like WWE, WCW, ECW. I don't really remember dueling chants like that. I mean, nowadays it's very common. But yeah, Ring of Honor, I mean, maybe they are the birth of it because London and Danielson, both fan favorites. Um, and like he's like, Gabe's like, it, it just seems so foreign to him. So it's like, man, this is just. It's like he never heard it before. So I think you might be right there. Maybe Ring of Honor kind of established that into the uh, the wrestling zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah. But the but the, the crowd at uh, Round Robin Challenge, they were hot. Like, I even like the scramble. And the crowd yeah. went fucking mental for everything. Scramble. Yeah. Yeah. But like, well, speaking of Ring of Honor tropes, the scramble as well. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're fine. they're like leaning into it now. They're, they're like, okay, we're just doing fancy moves. Yeah, just just watch it, okay? Like they're kind of leaning, which is good. Um, the thing was, no one else was doing that. You know, it was quite unique. Yeah, and I got onto it quick, but yeah, very very lucha inspired. But yeah, to your point, in America, not not no one's really doing that. But talking about that scramble at Round Robin Challenge, I, I think I know why the crowd was so hot for it. Because uh, Corey Graves was a part of the match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Sterling James Keenan. Yeah. There's his luscious blonde locks. Um, I mean, there's 20 guys in the match, so he only <laughs> had so much time to shine. But he's, he's out there diving over the ropes, do, throwing over, throwing dragon suplexes all over the place. But what do you think of a, a young Corey Graves here in Ring of Honor? Did they say anything about... Um... In my mind, I have this memory that Sterling James Keenan, he was also straight edge. And mm. but now Corey Graves' character is that he's like a fucking alcoholic. So like, right. I don't know if he just had like like all, you know, scene kids like except for CM Punk. Like I wonder if he was like straight edge for a month or something. But in my mind, I don't they they didn't mention that on the commentary, I don't think. But I, I wonder if it's gonna come up because in my mind he was one of the straight edge wrestlers it's him punk and this guy called josh prohibition um, mm-hmm. who also maybe worked like a match or so in ring of honor but um yeah but i, I always when I, I that's the main thing i was waiting for i was like is he straight edge here or is he you know this alcoholic character from wwe i was wondering right but, um I, did, I didn't really have any takeaways of it other than that with sjk it's just cool to see him right yeah it was just i i, I didn't know i knew he Kind of did some stuff with Ring of Honor. I didn't know it was so early on. Um, but yeah, yeah, especially because he, he's not wrestling anymore. So it's just funny to see him in the ring doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the scramble match here and like some of the people involved. We brought up Easy Money earlier. I think he, it dri- the one thing that drives me crazy though, it, it, it 
this applies to all wrestlers is when you have a name for every move in your arsenal <laughs> and easy money has what the cha-ching yeah. uh i don't even not just do a money shot probably yeah, money clip cap the money clip o, like yeah all stuff like that right yeah he was probably the standout of that scramble match though yeah 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 like um yeah, as much as people can in the scramble. But then this is a scramble as well. I, again, I'm getting confused. But this is the one, the SAT one with the Spanish fly. Yes, correct. You could say you could pretty much say that for any scramble match, and you're probably right. But it's well, it, it was the hot, it was the hot move at the time, right? It's like the Canadian destroyer, maybe a year later or two years later, and like yeah. now those two things. You know, for a while the hot move was the uh, Fosbury flop over the top rope, mm. and now. I, I was making a joke when I, I covered um, 205 Live for a while that, you know, it wasn't a good match unless you had a flip-flop and fly. If you, you hit <laughs> Spanish fly, a Canadian player on a Fosbury flop, if it had all three, yep. that's a fight. Match of the year. Yeah. It's a match of the year candidate. Yeah, the best match I've ever seen, Chris Lumber. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the Ring Crew Express, we got to talk about them too because they're also involved. I feel like they're like, becoming a cult favorite at this point, Dunn and Marcos. They're, for some reason, their promos are like, I don't know if they're like in on the joke. I can never tell. Like the, we're going to rock you like a hurricane deal. Like, I don't know. Were you were you a fan of the Ring Crew Express? Yeah, they, you know, they they stay about the same the whole time, but they have a career. You know, they they stick around for years just doing the same thing. Um, yeah. And then I, th- I think there's a point where they get their first win, but I, it's a long way down the track. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that'll be a, a huge moment because the crowd's starting to get behind them, and yep. uh, for whatever reason, yeah, that like that. All right, was um was Quiet Storm in this one? You know, I don't think Quiet no. Storm was a part of either of these shows. I don't I, know what I. Uh, I was just thinking about Hot Moves, and he had the Storm Cradle Driver, which was the one ones at the time. It's actually the, uh, as far as I know, the inventor of the Canadian Destroyer is Quiet Storm. Actually, I've fun heard fact. too. I don't know how true it is, but I've heard it as well. Yeah, uh, you know what? Anything to boost the name of Quiet Storm, I'm all about. So <laughs> true, true. I'm a big Mark. I'm a big Quiet Storm Mark myself. So <laughs> what a nice- I mean, I yeah, he's uh, I mean, he's in my top five rankings. I don't know about you. <laughs> the prestige is the all important. <laughs> oh man, how long did they? Because they don't have it today, right? So uh, eventually, it went away. Do, do you know how long it stuck around? Comes and goes. They were talking. Yeah around then they they changed it they did a thing called the contenders ring um and then i think that was then they called it the contenders list is that different than the the, the number one contenders trophy yeah the trophy was gone it was just people oh man wanted to challenge for the world's order you had to be in the contenders ring or on the contenders list i think um you look i like you know it, every wrestling company has tried to do it right like even a, mm-hmm. even AEW tries to do it now with rankings and like wins and losses and stuff but it just seems like over time there's it just goes by the wayside eventually yeah it's i like it because it gives stakes to matches that wouldn't normally have stakes so like cm punk and homicide like normally it'd just be a match yeah. But here it's like, oh, whoever wins this is going to be number one yeah. contender. And there's a few like, oh, these guys are both like, or neither of them are in the top five. But whoever wins this might be in the top five. So it's like, OK, it gives a yeah. bit of now I care about this match a little bit. But it made sense where like um, it was, it, I like the idea of the trophy where Williams cashed it in. So then we have a match between Punk and Homicide to see who wins it. 
the show. That's kind of cool, you know, it's sort of almost like a bit of a money in the bank type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that hom- talking about like matches of the month, right? That punk homicide match has to get thumbs Yeah. In. That was, um, it, it, it's either the, 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 the two out of three falls or punk and homicide. Punk and homicide is definitely a match that I wouldn't have guessed would have been my favorite match of the month, but it's definitely up there. Yeah. So on, at the end of this year, 2003, I remember this really well because I, I took years to get on board with homicide. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. I think because, like, I have always been drawn to, like, more wrestlers who can also promo. So, you know, my Ring of Honor guys were, were always, always punk and dragon, like, above mm-hmm. anybody else. And then, you know, Generation Next came in. I really liked them because Alex Shelley was on the microphone, stuff like that. And um, and I remember at the end of 2003, they released a DVD that was called, uh, it's just called, Homicide 2000 MVP, and it just had his match from every month of 2003. And I remember they actually like named him the 2003 MVP. And now I'm looking back 20 years later, and I'm just like, uh, oh shit! Like the the two matches he had on these shows, the two singles matches, the one. So who did he wrestle at Epic Again? Was it Whitmer? Daniels? Oh, Daniels for Daniels. Punk wrestled Whitmer, and he wrestled Daniels, and he wrestled Punk, and I was like, oh fuck, they were actually right. Like he actually, yeah, really is an incredible wrestler. Yeah, it's like because I'm kind of with you. I never really got Homicide because my first and my introduction to him was LAX and TNA, oh. which he did some fine stuff there. But as a singles, I never really saw what he was capable of. Um, and even, you know, when I started my rewatch of Ring of Honor from the beginning, like he comes out here in the, the jumpsuit and the, the goofy mask and the rubber chicken. He's teaming with Boogaloo. It's like, OK, he's um, just another guy, it feels like. Um, but then he kind of transitions into the singles guy. And it's like, OK, they're trying something with him. He has a match with Joe. Um, we might have even covered that. I don't remember. But it was towards the end of 2002. And it was a fine match, but it wasn't anything to write home about. But this here, I think Punk and Homicide at uh, Round Robin was the first match of Homicides where I watched. I was like, oh, okay, I, I get why this guy ended up winning the title, why he ended up being one of the main guys in Ring of Honor. And like even Punk, like him and Punk, I wouldn't describe it like a like a smooth match. It was very clunky at times, but that almost the way that it was clunky kind of made it feel real. And I think Ring of Honor was very good at that. I don't know whether it was on purpose or not, but wait. 20 years later and Punk is still a bit like that, right? Yeah, he's never been an athletic guy. Never been. And you wouldn't say, like, he's completely smooth. He's not – it's not like watching Osprey or Phoenix or something, you know? Like, right, yeah. He's, he, there are times in matches where you're like, oh, Punk looks a step off there. And but it's part of who he is and it's, it's part of, like it, – it does make it look a bit more real in a way maybe sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I – I thought probably that was the best match across. Oh, it's hard to say no to the Dragon Paul London, but mm-hmm. yeah. It, I, w- I would say maybe per minute, I probably like Punk and Homicide better. Yeah, yeah. It just that makes any sense. Right? Um, Punk hit this ridiculous Shining Wizard in the match, and I was like, fuck, I forgot he used to do that. And it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he hit it like flush and then followed it up with a suicide dive. Like the transitions throughout the match were so good. And that that's, again, what I'm saying about like Ring of Honor just had more and more and more matches like that, you know, mm-hmm. 
two years. There's less of the just seeming like weird indie supercard stuff and more. It's important, but also we've got established wrestlers who are really, really good. And like Joe comes into his own. Um, mm. Dragon turns more like an adult. Like he, you know, you look at him, he's like, oh, you're an adult man now. You're not just a kid anymore. He, he gets rid of the bowl cut eventually, right? Correct. Grows a bit. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, and we thought, you know, with Punk and Raven, because Raven wasn't here, but you had Raven, like, kind of proxies for him. So, like, the first night, you had uh, Trinity out there doing the pose in the corner and then trying to get into the mind of Punk. And then the second night, you had some... Do you even do you know who the second person was from Round Robin that was dressed oh. like Raven? No, I, did, I, I don't. No, I didn't. I... Because I... I was sort of fast forwarding a little bit here and I was like, I remember this. I didn't don't know who it was. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't catch who it was either, but basically the whole thing is Ravens, you know, he's, he's sending people on, on behalf to try to get in punk's mind. And, uh, but, uh, ultimately it doesn't really matter, but, uh, punk and homicide. Yeah. Like we said, it's a great match. You have like a, the first bit of the match is like submission battles, which is like, they're try, I guess they're trying to establish that Homicide isn't just a street thug. Like, he can wrestle. And it's really translating well in this match, I think. Um, they do fight on the outside a bit. Julius Smokes is there as well with Homicide. He's, uh, you know, <laughs> there's one point where... So Punk belly-to-bellies Homicide on the floor. And Homicide's, like, trying to get up. He can't get up. And then Julius just stands over him and goes, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's like, <laughs> like giving him the energy to get up. It's like, okay, I guess. So that, um, it's like that's, casting a spell on them. Twenty years later, that's one guy. Yeah, Julius smokes. He's not for me. Yeah, I mean, he seems he he seems a bit much. He's just so, <laughs> he's so what? He's so loud. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the my blood, my blood, yeah. my flesh, my flesh. I was like, <laughs> shut up, asshole. <laughs> well, he's 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 from the riots, so you can't tame a guy who is you know, who riots, right? Incredible character, like it really is. Great character. Yeah. And like fair play to him for having a job all throughout homicides. Like he's there the whole time from now on. So get used to him. Um Yeah. Yeah. But I just see not for me. He wasn't my guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not everybody can, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, towards the end the ending stretch of this match. So Punk gets the Pepsi plunge, which I think might be the first time he's brought it out in a ring of honor, maybe the second time. Uh, but only gets a two count amazingly because i'm watching this because it's for the number one contendership trophy and going into this i I knew joe wins he retains the title so i'm like and thinking on my mind like i know punk and joe had their legendary matches they had what three matches right um i'm thinking in my head yeah i'm like when did they have them because i didn't think it was this early but i was kind of hoping it was because i was like oh man are we getting punk and joe next but uh ultimately so we got like Punk hits a hammerlock DDT for two. Homicide hits like a scoop tombstone for two. Uh, But ultimately, Homicide locks in this crazy like Indian deathlock STF for the tap out win. So Homicide gets the win. (laughs) It's funny because the main event of the show is Samoa Joe versus Doug Williams for the title. But Homicide just gets right in the camera and he's like, Samoa Joe, you better watch your back. Like he's (laughs) spoiling the main event. I was like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, you, uh, anything else on that match? No, no, I think I, I think we covered it all there. I just, just enjoy. It. I just thought it was really, really solid and like just a sign of the of really turning that corner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but any other standout match? I mean, there's obviously uh, Danielson 
and London, which we can touch on. Uh, yeah, we can touch on now if you want to. But any other matches stand out to you? No, I, I don't think so. I think it was interesting to see Dusty Rhodes. Uh, interesting's a word. Yeah, yeah. That was. Um, do you remember the uh, the Abdul the Butcher match from uh, yep. 2002 Ring of Honor? Yeah, not of the Butcher. Yeah. What do you think was worse, that match or uh, the Dusty Rhodes match here? Oh, Abdullah's match was worse, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> but they were like along the same vein where it was just kind of like, I mean, the Dusty match wasn't awful, I guess, but it just felt like a bunch of nonsense happening. And yeah. then the match just ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I was like, I don't know, because Dusty's passed away or whatever. I was just like, oh, cool, Dusty, you know? And like, he, you know, he did the elbows. He looked like he was moving around. Okay. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. sort of healthy-ish. You know, I, I, it was fun to see Dusty for sure. Yeah. Oh, and the other, oh, mate, the other thing was Julius Smokes called him Stardust like three times. Did you hear that? I was wondering who he was f- referring to. Uh, I guess it was Dusty Rhodes, huh? Yeah. Isn't like, because like that's a long time before Stardust. Like, I just thought that was like really interesting foreshadowing without. Did, yeah. did Dusty Rhodes go by Stardust at any point? I don't. Or- Not that I know of. I could be wrong. Um, no, I don't know. A lot, lot more, lot more clever wrestling historian than I. But uh, yeah, I just, but I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, one thing I was also also wondering because Dusty Rhodes, so Epic Encounter is the match where Dusty Rhodes had was in the main event. I'm wondering, do you think he influenced the rest of the card? Because it felt like the matches felt more methodical and slower than usual. Do you think Dusty Rhodes was kind of like? ingraining that in people's minds backstage and that's kind of why that was that's a really interesting point i hadn't thought about that at all um i just thought as time went on like ring of honor tried to do more of that um i remember hearing joe and punk talk once and they said like this was only in like 2004 or something and they said oh well you look back at all the old shows and every single person does a northern lights into the turnbuckle we got better at like trying to make sure that people were only do, doing things once a night and just like not mm-hmm. not making everyone try to get, well, I guess they would have said all their shit in or whatever they said. But um, I, I always just, I just thought it was more to do with that, that like as things evolved yeah. and the company changed a little bit, they were just trying to give people a chance to, like, you know, whatever, slow down and sell more, in the words of JR. But it could have been because Dusty was there. Like maybe he does have an impact. Um, it's not too long until uh, Ricky Steamboat turns up. I don't know. He has a big influence on the Ring of Honor product, and um, right. Mick Foley as well. Like they, they all, you know, a few of these uh, Ring of Honor related legends do turn up soon. So, yeah, and yet like Tommy Dreamer stopped by a few months ago, things like that. So they're already making a name for their, themselves, I guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but no, as far as wrestling, I didn't have too much else. Too many other. Um, notable things like <coughs> excuse me um it would be it seems silly to go back and mention the fact that reckless youth was on a was on one of the cards now and um hit what was a sister abigail i thought that was interesting um yeah but well, he, he was in the scramble match right yeah and like gabe was really pushing him hard but i don't think he ever really comes back yeah yeah i'm not too familiar with reckless youth no, personally it is the first i've seen of those, him He's one of those names that you always hear, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know. It's like um, it's like the Misfits as a band or something. So I, I, I everyone yeah. loved the Misfits, but I've never seen him anywhere. Was he known because sometimes they like kind of try to bring like they brought in 
Guido into Ring of Honor and they really portrayed him as like a technical wrestler. Was Reckless Youth one of those guys who had like a different style before Ring of Honor and then came into Ring of Honor and tried to be more technical? But Ga- yeah, Gabe said that. Gabe said he was like sort of known before as like a high flyer, but I think mm. high flyer in the way that Reckless Youth was, the, was around the same time as like um, one, two, three kid as a high flyer. So it's nothing compared to what like the Ring of Honor guys were doing. I think I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that, you know, Reckless Youth was of the class of like, yeah, like Sean Waltman and Jerry Lynn. Okay. That kind of a hybrid of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, I'm sure that in the nineties, Reckless Youth was, you know, crazy, but I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think it was anything like he wouldn't have been able to hang with the SAT or red or whatever. I don't think. Right. Yeah, well, they're calling him what's his nickname? That it was like the the technician, Tom Carter. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and they're kind of. It seems like because I know the pure title becomes a thing at some point. I don't know if it's anytime soon, but they're definitely established establishing like a pure division. So it's like Tom Carter, Matt Stryker, um, what's his face, cut uh, Chad Collier. Yeah. Um. So that each show has like a like a multi man match of these like technical guys that it seems like they're like creating a subdivision of sorts. The, when when does the pure title come into play? The first pure champion is the second anniversary. Okay, so we're we're not too far away from it. Uh, yeah, roughly a year away. Yeah. Um. But yeah, speaking of like Matt Stryker and Chad Collier, like they have like a kind of a lower tier feud going. Which at first I was like, okay, this. To like create a character number one and create a character number two, yeah. like the generic, it's <laughs> like black tights, short yeah. hair. Um, but for some reason, I'm kind of into it a little bit. I, I don't know how long these guys stick around, but they got kind of this thing where it's like a rivalry between them. And every time they have a match, they have great matches together. So um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on those guys or not. Yeah, they're good. They that is good, solid wrestlers. My number one thought anytime I think of uh, Matt Stryker and Chad Collier is. When American Dragon leaves, and this is in, he goes to WWE like 2006 or something like that. When he leaves, he gives this speech and he says, I don't know why, but you people always treated me like I was special. Like there are loads of people that can do what I can do. Matt Stryker, Chad Collier. And for some reason, you always treated me like I was different. And someone in the crowd just yells out while everyone's crying. Someone in the crowd yells out, it's because you are different. And I, like, I, remember, I remember it so clearly all the time. Wow. And it's just, and it's just so true. I don't, I don't know why. Because like in, in, in American Dragon's mind, he was being sincere. He's like, yeah. you know, I'm just a wrestler, a boring wrestler. But for some reason, those he's are, not though. Yeah, he's not. But he couldn't see it. He's like, I'm just the And like, in his mind, he's like, those guys are as good or better than me. But, but no, they're not. Like, it's just, but it's, I always remember that. And I feel that way about Collier and Stryker, for example, and even BJ Whitman. Like, I'm sort of like, oh, these are good wrestlers, but I just never connected with them like I did with Dragon. I- yeah, you can you can have like, because a lot of people think charisma and mic skills are interchangeable. And I don't think that's the case because, you know, Brian Daniels, I mean, he's good on the mic, especially nowadays. Yeah. But maybe back then he wasn't the best, but he had this charisma about him. Like he would walk around the ring, his facials like the intent that he had behind everything, his intensity, like that came through the screen. And I think that's why people gravitated to him and not maybe, you know, Collier and Stryker, like you said, they're good, but for like, they had a promo. Uh, I think it's on a uh, round Robin challenge where uh, Gary Michael Capetta 
he's uh, interviewing Matt Stryker and he's like, well, Matt, you know, you're, you're in this scramble match later. What do you think is going to it's going to take to win? And then Matt's like, he just starts talking and I my, something in my mind just shuts off when he starts talking. <laughs> like, Agreed. It's, not, it's, not, it's not even he's not, it's not a bad talker, really. I mean, he's not the best. But he's just it's just boring and like it's a lot of words with not a lot of value behind them. And then Chad Collier comes in. He's like, oh, look at Matt Stryker running your sloppy mouth with your unibrow. <laughs> and it's like, OK, this is yeah. like it's bad, but it's also like kind of funny. But I, but I just never cared who won or lost. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you got the top five rankings. Yeah. Dominic. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is what it is. But uh, anything else we didn't cover here? The round robin, the round robin matches, though. I mean, those were, I think, because the first round robin challenge, what it was, uh, Danielson, Daniels, and uh, Low Key. I think. Do you? I don't know how much of you remember about the, the initial one, but do you? Are you? Do you lean towards a certain one as being better? I, I lo- overall, I like the guys in the second one, but the thing I liked about this, which isn't tr- like over their whole careers. Definitely Loki and Danielson I like more than AJ and Red. But at, yeah. at and even like like but I just at this time London and Red, I know I just said AJ, but it's still this point still stands. I just think what I liked about them was the length of the matches. That mm-hmm. they felt shorter. And I, I wouldn't be able to go back and tell. Like maybe the first ones were only short as well, but they all three of the matches felt quite watchable. It wasn't like, oh, I'm tired of these guys now. Right. And I and I always kind of felt at the time, like, sometimes Daniel's matches go a bit long. For, I agree. Whereas I, I thought with London and Red in these matches, I, I thought that they were just nice, watchable matches at, a, at an okay length. Yeah, they weren't trying to be like the epic encounter. Right. Yeah. They got rid of the fluff in the round robin matches yeah. and it kind of plays because each guy wrestles two matches. So why would you have this long drawn out match if you're, you got to save yourself? So it was they were all kind of sprints of matches. Um, but the first one, Daniels versus Amazing Red. Um, this, this is the match where I, I noticed that the crowd energy for the second show just seemed they, they were really into this match. Um, you got Amazing Red busting out a 619 and a West Coast pop. Daniels hits a BME for two. Uh, red hits a code red, probably in one of the slickest transitions into a code red I've ever seen. Cause he doesn't like jump over the guy like you traditionally see. He like comes from the side and like flips uh-huh. into it. Um, so clean, but only gets a two count. Um, then Amazing Red goes to the top, but Daniels kicks the ref into the ropes to knock Red off and then hits the last rights which is a crossroads basically uh, for the win. So uh, Daniels gets the win in the first match. Um, you know what? I, it was weird. Yeah, I'll tell you what else was weird to me. It was I always felt like um, the last rights was his secondary finisher behind the Angels wings. Mm-hmm. But at this time, it was almost the other way around. Yeah, he would eventually kind of phase it out, I think, the last rights. Yeah, and like, like Angels wings and the best moonsault ever always stayed. But yeah, in my mind last rights was always the secondary one, the one that people kicked out of. But it's almost like the opposite here. Yeah, no, for yeah, I wonder why. I mean, I guess that you know you want to limit your amount of finishers maybe to make them feel special. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was the TNA thing. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, and TNA, I think he definitely used the last rights more or the angel swings more than the last rights. 
Um, but the second round robin match, you have the Amazing Red versus Paul London, which I think they had a match before this, but it was like a a gauntlet. It was like a part of a gauntlet, so it wasn't like a full match. But this one, you had like a, a proper match between these two. Um, and we kind of talked about how because Amazing Red and Paul London, they're basically fighting for AJ Styles love, I guess, at this point, because um, Red is his partner and London was going to be his partner. It's a whole thing. Uh, and this is the poor part because Paul London, you don't often see him as the bigger guy in a wrestling match. So it's fun to see him kind of busting out all these power moves like he does, like these double underhook suplexes and German suplexes. And he kind of just has this cocky presence about him which we talked about that earlier, how he's kind of establishing that part of his character here. Uh, red hits a top rope code red for a two count. Amazingly really burying the code red on this. Show. Yeah, yeah, really- uh, but London hits the styles clash uh, onto amazing red for the win. So sending a message to AJ as he beats amazing red. Uh, great shit there. And then the third match, you have Daniels versus Paul London. Um, fucking find it here and then you see yeah, you have all like the mind games in the beginning they're kind of like stalling for time a little bit uh daniels attacks the the ribs of london throughout the entire match so like at one point paul london hits the shooting star press but he can't capitalize uh allison danger's out there distracts the ref paul london goes and kisses her then dumps daniels on her uh then you have uh he goes for the shooting star press again on the daniels but Daniels gets the knees up into the injured ribs, then hits the flatliner, then the BME for the win. So Daniels wins the round robin challenge. And um, and then there's a whole thing at the end of the show where him and the prophecy attack Joe. So they're setting up for a Daniels Joe match in the future. So all in all, the round robin challenge stuff and the stuff leading into Daniels versus Joe. I, I loved it all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, and that's where the when London hits the shooting star under the knees, that's where we get the dangerous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how did he say it? <coughs> how, do, how do you say it? Yeah, yeah. Can you deliver it like he said it? Uh, dangerous! There we go. Just needed the sound bite. The most um, is uh, when he, someone goes for a tope out of the ring and lands on their head and he yells out, Crash and burn, dangerous! <laughs> <laughs> He sucks. Yeah. Oh, man. Loved it so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, as long as it made him happy, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can bring to those matches, but I think you summarize them really well, mate. That's, yeah, that's pretty much pretty. Oh, mate, I oh, know what did come into my mind is can people stop kissing the female wrestlers as well? <laughs> right. That happened twice on the two. Dusty Rhodes kissed someone. Uh-huh. Yes. Like, and I guess it was getting the baby face pop at the time, but again, just that just doesn't age well to me. Is it is it is it better to kiss a woman and push her off the apron than it is to punch her in the face? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, that's a question. That's a question for the people. We'll create a poll on that. <laughs> What's more misogynistic, kissing them they, without their permission or punching them? Yeah, one's a bit assaulty and one's a bit violenty. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm steering right clear of that question, Carla. <laughs> I, I, really <laughs> smart man smart I, man i do not need uh the, the good name of dominic Philp. <laughs> dom from wrestling should yeah. be fun prefers to punch women in the face oh my good front page news <laughs> oh man <laughs> anyway i'm i i my, my official stance is stop doing both of those things that's fair i think that's a fair thing to say yeah 
But um, yeah, but the, the real takeaway from April 2003, of course, the epic encounter, which is the two out of three falls match between Paul, uh, yeah, Paul London and Brian Danielson. Who this is a uh, I mean, one of the more legendary matches, I guess, in the history of Ring of Honor, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, two out of three falls. If I can find it here, where the hell is it? Um, but yeah, it's it's more like like a like a fight than I thought it would be. It wasn't very spotty at all. It wasn't like your traditional Paul London match. It was very much like a, a brutal like strike fest at a lot of points. Yeah. Um, the right from the first bell, the lockup. Like, yeah. It's if someone like obviously I watched this back. But before I watched it, if you ask me what can I remember from it, from the match from 20 years ago, it's the opening lockup. And I always just think, why doesn't every match start like that? Yeah. They lock up and then, you know, and then they fall out of the ring and they're still locked up and Dragon's grabbing his cauliflower ear. I just, it's it could be my favorite part of the match, Carl. Like, honestly, I really just. <laughs> you, you love a good lockup. I do love, it's, it, that is true about me. It, let it be said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is true, though. Like an intense lockup because that establishes the tone of the match is that first opening thing. And a lot of times people will lock up and it's almost like they're just like grabbing each other to like transition into something else. But yeah. the way they did it here, it's like they're truly trying to trying to fight to get the advantage here, which plays into the rest of the match, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're evenly matched. And also they've got history together because they both trained um down there with michaels in texas so um, right it makes sense you know it made perfect sense that they're not going to just come in and throw punches at each other but also they they're going to be evenly matched in some ways so that that always stands out to me in the match um Mm -hmm. are you going to walk us through a bit of it or yeah i mean just you know the falls that happen so it's it's like a 45 minute match it's a great match uh the first fall comes when uh you know daniel said he's going for a back suplex off the top rope and london counters it into a cross body and gets the initial fall in this match. Uh, that's uh, always for me that that's the homage to HBK. Um, I, mm, when yeah. I that spot, I always think of it as a HBK spot, and then it sort of became a Brian Danielson spot. Um, you know, from here and then on from there. But I, anytime I see it now, I always think, well, that's Danielson giving a, an homage to to HBK, um, and I love that. You very rarely see it getting the pinfall, but in a two out of three falls, they can do that, which is right. which was going to be my main takeaway of the match. I like the way they they no one hit a finisher until the third fall, right? Right. Yeah, they definitely they paced. It was paced very well. Um, but then you know, Brian, he kind of starts fighting back. He starts attacking the ribs and the legs of Paul London, and eventually makes Paul London tap with a, a single leg crab, like almost like a lion tamery, because he like put the knee on London's head and it would look sick but uh well yeah and it makes it like to your point it's a two or three falls match so it's like you want to tap out so you can preserve yourself to uh keep fighting so and that made sense from a logic standpoint for sure um and a running thread throughout the entire match is paul london he keeps trying to hit the shooting star press like i don't know how many times he went to the top rope and tried to hit that thing but it had to be uh, almost 10 times um, can't hit it, can't hit it. Danielson, you know, keeps getting up and stopping him or he moves out of the way or something. Um, but eventually they're fighting on the top rope and it's just like 
the fight feel because London's on the top rope. Brian keeps getting up and like fighting him and, and headbutting him and elbowing him and then gets knocked down and then gets back up. Like he doesn't want the shooting star press to get hit because he knows if he hits him, it's going to lead to the win. But eventually London hits a, uh, a tornado DDT off the top rope to really keep Danielson down and then uh, hits the shooting star press and gets the win. So Paul London gets the win. And uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, both these guys are like the two golden boys of Ring of Honor at this point. So it's almost like they're fighting for almost the fans approval at this point, which plays into the dueling chants and all that. So, yeah, everything about this I loved. It's it all it always amazes me in the watching these early days of Ring of Honor, how often the American Dragon lost. Right. He, he lost a lot in these first two years. Yeah. And then- and then he goes and has his little, he has a break for a while and he comes back and it's almost like he never lost another match again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's Brian Danielson with hair and then bald Brian Danielson. They're very different uh, very. trajectories, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What, like I said before, one is an adult man. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, one, one gets his eye knocked out you know, from Takeshi Morishima and the other one loses to Paul London. So yeah. Um, else to look forward to. I, um, Man, I can't say much more other than I, I really, you know, obviously I loved it. And I, it stands out in my memory. The falls, I, when they happened, I remembered them happening. And, I, and yeah, they were my things. I, I liked the beginning of the match and I liked the pacing and I liked that no one really hits a finisher until the finish. You can go, right. you can go 45 minutes without having to hit six F5s, you know? Right, yeah, but also you don't. It's not just full of rest holds and no. stalling for time. It, it's it's stiff, stiff action all throughout. Whereas in, so I guess it's 2004, um, the end of 2004, when Brian Danielson and Austin Aries wrestle a show called Testing the Limit, they have their two out of three falls match and it does feel more rest holdy, but it, it goes uh-huh. an hour and a half or something. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Yes, it, it can't really hit every time. I know there was, might have been Final Battle 2002. It was like Steve Carino, Smojo, um, Homicide, and somebody else. But that, that one felt like a very, just felt like an hour of wrestling, just for the sake of wrestling. So, yeah, it doesn't always hit. But when it hits, it hits. And um, I think, yeah. I, so as soon as the match was finished, I fast forwarded. But I have a memory. Did the fans chant match of the year at the end? They might have. I know Gabe definitely was driving it home. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I guess I'm not saying. In my mind, I have a memory that the fans might have chanted that. And that was like the first time they ever did that too, I think. Yeah. That- yeah. Again, Ring of Honor establishing uh, the tropes that would follow wrestling for years to come. So yeah. um, real trailblazers there. Yeah. But um, yeah, anything else among these two shows? I mean, do you, do you pick one show or the other as, as being the stronger of the two? It's. I think I like the Epic Encounter show more. I, really? Yeah, I think I like the. I think I like the Epic Encounter, and then I think like I really quite enjoyed the, the punk stuff on that show. On, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, but then, uh, the other show had Punk and Homicide, but I think maybe London Dragon just edges it for me. And obviously, yeah, I mean that alone. Obviously, the, the tag, like the tag, was the other main thing on the Epic Encounter, right? And then you know, uh, Iceberg and uh, <laughs> hold on, I, I just need to list the people that were in this this main event here. So yeah. the main event 
of uh, Epic Encounter was a 12 man I quit bunkhouse match. So we got Becky Bayless, Dusty Rhodes, Homicide, Iceberg and Julia Smokes versus Louis Ramos, um, the barroom brawler, C.W. Anderson, Jack Victory, David Young, Guillotine Legrand and Simply Luscious. There's a lot going on there. We could, we could do a whole podcast on this match, but uh, <laughs> Forks come into play. Uh, David Young's there for whatever reason. I know him from TNA. It was weird to see him there. Yeah. Um, he must have had, he must have some connection from NWA Wildside. I never, I, I think, yeah, they were. So there was one, there was a few segments throughout that show where David Young, and I think it was iceberg maybe they were like fighting on the street they were fighting in the hallways and they were just fighting throughout the entire show and i guess they had like a a, a rivalry in nwa wild side i can't say that i've seen it and i can't say that i've really motivated to go back and watch it but i had one point like during the show where i was sort of like um and i i say this with love because i i'm very very large gentleman the husky gentleman but i was sort of like i was like fuck why are homicide's friends all so fat like, like three three guys that are like my side, and I, uh-huh. yeah. And anytime I said, I'm like, man, I maybe it's not too late for me to go and you know make my run, Ring of Honor title. Hey man, you have my support. I'll buy you. I'll buy your t-shirt. <laughs> That's yeah. It only comes in five XL. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait for the match between you and Jack Victory. Yeah, that'll yeah. be a yeah. I'll steal a show in any arena. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean it's very forgettable um but i get the main payoff is like we said dusty i thought but yeah very and yeah it just got homicide over more didn't it so. yeah i think epic encounter had higher highs and lower lows yeah. whereas uh round robin felt more consistently like punk and homicide was great the round robin all the round robin matches were great it, Samoa joe versus doug williams we didn't really touch on that but i thought that match was awesome as well um because Samoa joe had a match with hot stuff hernandez a non-title match in Epic Encounters. Yeah, and then he and then he defends the title in like a four-way straight after. It was very. It was like, I guess so. Yeah, it, he phrased it weird. It's like I'm gonna be in this five-way now, and if it, or four-way, but if anybody pins me, they can. I'll give them my title. And it's like, okay, is this a title match or is this not a title match? But because um, it was funny, because like him and Hernandez had a match, and it wasn't a very good match. Like. The crowd wasn't into it, at least. I mean, it was it was fine. It felt fine, but the crowd wasn't into it. Um, Smojo even gets on the mic. He's like, I don't think the crowd is satisfied with my performance in that last match, even though he beats him. So he's like, oh, I'm going to be in this next match. And then he wins the next match. And then it's a whole thing. But uh, yeah, we a little weird sequence of events there. But um, both good shows. I think like to your point, this is a period where Ring of Honor is finding their stride. It's figuring out like they have the feuds going that are really would be legendary in the grand scheme of things. And uh, yeah, uh, we're up and coming. We're, we're, we're getting away from Christopher street connection and uh, all that kind of stuff. Or hopefully I don't know. Did they come back? I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it, they were fun shows and I mean, wrestling should be fun, but speaking of which, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, thank you once again, Dom for uh, coming on, Man. talking about some old school ring of honor. Uh, where can everybody find you and the rest of the wrestling should be fun boys? Oh uh, mate, Carl, my absolute pleasure. Anytime brother. Um, so wrestling should be fun, uh, on Twitter, 
Uh, I always say about 15,000 followers over there. It's uh, WSBFUN. I don't run that. Uh, I am just a member of the group. What I do run is the Instagram. It's got about 10% of the followers over there. <laughs> um, and it's uh, wrestling should be fun, all one word. Um, if you want to give me a shout out, you're very welcome to. I'm at Dom Van Dam on Instagram. Uh, I might accept you. I might not. We'll see what you look like. You that's, <laughs> see if you make the cut. Yeah, that's you know that's how I roll. Um, we and probably most importantly, we have our own podcast that is a weekly podcast. Uh, we touch more on uh, modern wrestling uh, than Kyle does, as well as we also just do wacky segments where we fantasy book things with random names that come out of a generator, and we also have lots of songs that would get us ripped. <laughs> Whenever heard it, um, and things like that. So you can find us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, it's just wrestling should be fun once a week, and it really should. Kyle, thanks so much for having me, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, Booker Bingo is my favorite. Uh, so if anybody wants to hear about Tamina and Conan having a feud, <laughs> check, check out Wrestling Should Be Fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Cheers. Yeah, man. We'll, uh, we'll right, be back on our show again soon. Yeah. Yeah, I'll come back on and ruin your show again. <laughs> It'll be a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely not. Once again, thank you to Dom from the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Check out their podcast wherever you listen. Follow them on the social medias at WSB Fun on Twitter and at Wrestling Should Be Fun on Instagram. Great guys over there. Love having them on. And um, check out all my episodes and all my shit at ApronBump.com. Thank you all so much for listening. God bless you all. Tickle your cats on the belly. Shove hibiscus up your ass. And clean your foreskin. I'm a heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit on my dick.